you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. And while you're turning there, I, I just I, I want to note something about our, our, our culture that we live in that is just really interesting. And uh, probably many of you, if not most of you, have a, a social media account. You have a, a social media account. And when I was in high school... Now, I just want to say to all of our students in here, y'all are going to think I'm a dinosaur, and that's okay. But when I was in high school, not that many years ago, MySpace was the big thing. It was all about MySpace. Now, we heard rumors about this thing called Facebook, but nobody wanted to use it because MySpace is what was cool. It was hip, it was in, that's what everybody used. And then, got into college, and then all of a sudden... You couldn't even get anybody to use it anymore because now Facebook was the thing. And, and Facebook was just interesting. It kind of conquered the world, as it were, and, and many of you may be on it. And then, of course, when I, I, a few weeks ago, I was telling some of our teenagers that, that I'm on Facebook and that's what I do, and they just thought, like, you're ancient then because now it's, not, it's, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's Snapchat, it's all these other, it's ev- constantly evolving. But one thing that, I, that I just, I've noticed as, as we've kind of evolved that way is how easy it is to follow someone. Like on Twitter, for instance, you don't really, on Facebook you have to be their friend to see their stuff. But on Twitter, all you have to do is you click follow and then now you, you see all that person's, you know, all of their posts, all of their pictures, all of that. And so what, what's happening is it's really easy to follow somebody on, on social media. Now, when it comes to following someone, the biblical understanding of that, a lot of times in our culture, we kind of adapt the idea of social media to our religious views. In other words, we like to say, I will follow Jesus, but only if it's as easy as clicking on a button and seeing His updates. I'll follow Jesus if I can sit in the comfort of a a nice recliner. I'll follow Jesus, but only if it doesn't cost me anything. And what we see with the biblical understanding of following Jesus is something a lot more than that. And we we see the word discipleship used. And in the biblical day, what it meant to be a follower was something far more. It was meant that, that a person would be a student of someone else. And that meant that wherever the teacher would go, the disciple would go. The disciple was following the, the teacher constantly. So much so that it was known that for a, a disciple, like the sandals that they would wear, if it kicked up dust behind it, the disciple would be in that dust. That's the understanding of a follower that we see in the New Testament. And as we continue on in our, in our series on, on missions and on the mission of the church, we have to look at what we specifically as God's church should be doing. We, we've, we've said before that we go. And, and just kind of recap where we've been. We, we looked at our first week about how God is on mission and that's the foundation of our mission. We looked at the fact last week that worship is the fuel for the mission. 
The greatness of God is the fuel for the mission. But what are we going to tell people when we go? What, what purpose are we accomplishing when we go? And what we're going to see in this passage, the main idea that we're going to see in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is we're going to see that we should make disciples, make followers of Christ, because Jesus is worth it, and He is with us. He's worth it, and He's with us. Join with me, we're going to read Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, and if you would please stand as we honor God's Word. This is what it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You that Your Word speaks to us. We're, we're thankful, Lord, that You are a speaking God. We don't have to guess about what You're like. We don't have to guess about what You would say to us. But Lord, You, you speak very clearly to us in Your Word. And Lord, we are students of Your Word. We don't exalt ourselves over it. But Lord, help us to be humble students that sit under it and learn from it. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us this morning. That you would convict us, Lord, that we would be better disciples as we go about our disciple making. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning, we're just going to examine what we just read. We're going to look at it and we're going we're to make some observations and the first observation we see about this great commission is the reason why it was given. The reason why it was given. And, and notice what he says there in verse 18. The first words Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. All authority, he says, has been given to me. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm not just a good teacher among many. I'm not just a good prophet among many. I am the one who rules everything. I'm the one who upholds the universe by the word of my power. I'm the king who reigns over it all. He's not just a, a tribal deity, but he is the Lord of everybody. He's not just an obscure carpenter, but he's the king. He's the king. When I was in North Carolina, where we lived before, uh, what I did while I was there in seminary to put myself through and to, to put us through was I worked as a salesman. And I worked for a, a company called Packrat. And uh, if you think of pods, like the big store, you know, portable storage container, that's what we did. And it was my job to, I was on the business development side of it, so it was my job to, to call on other businesses and offer our product and our services to them. And so that was what my day was consumed with. It was researching who I needed to call, and then finally picking up the phone and calling them. Person to person, company to company. You think about that, and, and you, you, know, you can't help but think about like those old-timey door-to-door -door vacuum salesmen. 
course, we don't see those anymore, do we? Not a lot. But going door to door, knocking on doors, telling people about their product and hoping that, that their pitch would be good enough where somebody would purchase a vacuum from them. Notice Jesus is not making us vacuum salesmen. He's not, he's not sending us door to door with a product that we really don't believe in. He's not sending us door to door trying to sell something to somebody that, that honestly is not going to benefit them. He is the king over everybody who is sending us on mission for himself. And listen, he is not just the God of the Christians, Christ is not just the Christ of Christians. He is the Christ of everybody. He is the King that rules over every person. And so as we go, we need to remember that the reason that we're going is because He reigns over everybody. And the question I have for you is, if the reason that we go is the supremacy of Jesus, is He supreme to you? Is He supreme to you? Do you in your mind hold Him as as great and majestic Because something about how you see Jesus is this. If you see Jesus as small, you're never going to tell anybody about Him. You're never going to want to go and tell anybody because He's just small little Jesus. You know, He just, they'll figure it out. But when Jesus is your supreme treasure, you're not going to be able to hold it back. Just like when we go and we tell people, we show pictures of our grandkids and our kids. What we treasure, we tell about. And because Jesus is supreme, there is a commission to go. We see the reason for the Great Commission. And the second observation we see is the heart of the Great Commission. A lot of preachers, when they, when they get to preaching on this text, they, they like to look at that first word in verse 19, go. And they say, well, the heart of the Great Commission is go. But actually, the heart of the Great Commission and, and, and the way that this, this sentence is structured in the original language, actually, the, the focus is not on the going, but it's on the next part, the making disciples. Why is that so important? Because what are we going to go and do? Think about it. If Jesus just said, I, I want you to go onward, he, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going for the purpose of accomplishing? Are we going just like we go to the grocery store? Are we going just like we, you know, what is it that we are doing? And so notice that Jesus isn't just telling us, I want you to just mindlessly, aimlessly go, but I want you to go for a purpose. And he says the heart of this, the, the purpose of this, there in verse 19, is to go therefore and make disciples. To make disciples. A, a disciple, as we noted earlier, is, is one who is constantly associated with someone who has a, a teaching reputation or a particular set of views. A disciple is, is one who is basically like an adherent, an apprentice. Church, I want us to look really closely at those words. And I want us to notice what he did not say. He said to make disciples, not to go and make converts. 
say, well, what's the difference? The call is not for us to go and get people saved and leave them there. You know, I hear, I hear churches and preachers all the time. Just this past week, we got together, the District 8, and you know, a bunch of pastors got together. And pastors, are we're, we're really bad about this. We're really bad about telling other people, well, you know, this past year, I baptized X in my church. And so you get a bunch of preachers together, and one's going to say, well, I baptized 50 in my church. And then you get another one, he's going to come up, well, I baptized 75 in my church. Well, I baptized 100 in my church. But what us preachers, you know, you can't trust a preacher. <laughs> what they leave out is out of those 50 that they baptized, 49 of them have never come back into the doors of the church. God help us. God help us. We're more concerned with our numbers we're more concerned with getting people, quote unquote, saved, and then we leave them there. Jesus said, He didn't say, I want you to go out and get a bunch of people saved. He said, No, I want you to go out and I want you to make them disciples. And we, we like to just make converts because that's easy, isn't it? It's easy when you get to just go and lead somebody to Christ and you don't have to go and walk alongside them and do life with them. It's easy when you get to just go and make a disciple or make a convert and you don't really have to worry about the accountability focus of it. You don't have to worry about teaching them and showing them how to follow Jesus. But Jesus tells us very plainly that we are to make disciples. What does that look like? What does that look like in, in, in a church? What does that look like for us as individuals? I think for us as individuals, that means as we're going and we're telling people about Christ and, and we have the opportunity to share with somebody and if they come to know the Lord, that our job does not stop there. Rather, it starts there. That we are commanded by Christ and compelled by Christ to then go and teach them. Or maybe you, in, your, in your life you run across people who they are recent converts or they say, you know, I am a follower of Christ, but they're, they're, not really, they're not really following Him. Then it's your job to go that extra step and make disciples. It's, it's your, your job, your extra step to go and to teach them, to go and hold them accountable, to go and say, hey, if you're following Christ, then let's get you plugged into our church. Let's get you plugged into our Bible study. As a church, that means that we don't stop as a church of just saying, well, we got you saved and now we're going to stop there and just hope for the best. That means that we're going to do everything we can to get people plugged in, not just to Sunday morning, but we want them to be plugged into Bible studies. We want people to be growing. Because our job, listen church, our job is not done until people are growing with the Lord. You don't just get them saved and turn them loose. They need to grow. But I think the other question that we have to ask ourselves as this text gets really close and personal to us is are you truly a disciple? It's easy for us to say, well, our mission is to make disciples without asking the question, am I one? 
Because you might be the kind of person that you like God way over there and you want to follow Him way back here so that you don't have to get really close to Him. Follow Him at a distance. Are you a disciple of His or are you just merely clicking a button on social media and yes, I'll follow you, but only if I can stay comfortable? Are you growing in the Lord? Are you growing in holiness? Are you growing in Christ-likeness? The Great Commission tells us what the heart of it is, and that is to make disciples. Notice he says, to make disciples where? Of all nations. Of all nations, he says. And I'm not going to belabor this point because you've already heard it for two weeks now. God is not concerned with us just making disciples here in Mount Carmel and here in Florine, here in Sabine Parish. God wants us to not just stop here, but to carry the mission throughout the world. He wants us to carry it to places where His name has never been heard. The third observation we see here is the instructions for the Great Commission. So the heart of it is to make disciples, and then the instructions that He gives us. Aren't you glad He gives instructions? Aren't you glad? I mean, you, you take open a box to build something that you buy, and then there's no instructions in it. You know, of course, us men, we don't think we need instructions anyway, so it doesn't matter. But on the Great Commission, he gives us instructions how it is that we are to make disciples. And he, he gives three words to go, to baptize, to teach. And, and to start with, he says that very first word in verse 19. He says, go. Now listen, we have a go and tell religion. Jesus did not say they need to come and see, did he? He says, no, you, you don't have a come and see church. You need a go and tell church. You don't have a, a church where you just say, well, I'm going to wait on people to come to me and I'm going to wait on the lost to come to me and then I'll tell them about Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way, does it? You know, I've heard people say that we are going to gear our services completely for the lost, which that's a good thing. You know, I'm not saying we should gear our services for the lost. That's That's good. But when we say that's our primary form of outreach, we've missed the point. If our only outreach as a church is, well, if, if lost people come in here on Sunday morning and we, we witness to them and, and through our service they get saved, then we've missed the point. Because it's not a come and see. A lot of people would say, and, and this is truly tragic, well, they know where we are, and when they're ready, they'll come find us. Lost people, they know where the church is. They'll come find us. And the tragedy behind that is lost people don't just wake up one morning seeking for the Lord. It doesn't happen that way. Jesus doesn't say, let them come. He says, you go. You go. The, the tense of the word go here it's very clear that it's basically like it's assuming that we're already doing that. In other words, a, a, another way you might could translate it is to say, while you go, or as you go, make disciples. You know, a lot of times when we think about the mission and we think about our, our neighborhood as a mission field, we like to think that we have to be some kind of extraordinary Christian to go. 
We think that we have to, you know, we have to be an extraordinary Christian and then all of a sudden we have to do this big thing called going. But that's not at all what the Great Commission is saying. It's saying, hey, as you go about your regular, ordinary life, make disciples. As you are going, make disciples. And that's so important because as you go to the grocery store, make disciples. As you go to the hunting club, make disciples. Students, as you go to school or college, wherever you, wherever you find yourself, make disciples. If you're retired, as you go about your day and you run across people, make disciples. It's not some big thing that when we make it into a big thing, it's not some big thing where we have to just go way out of our way. No, it's just as we go about our regular, ordinary life. Because if we're honest with ourselves, that's where true ministry happens, isn't it? I have, I've witnessed people getting saved before, but you know, the vast majority of people that I see get saved doesn't happen in the church house. It happens outside of these walls. This past week, as, as uh, the pastors and churches got together and our local associations, uh, the, the pastor that spoke to us, he just took some time and he shared what was going on at, at Aimwell Baptist Church in, in Zawali. And he just shared some stories about people coming to, to know Christ. What was remarkable, none of those stories involved him, first of all. Again, you can't trust these preachers. They like to tell a bunch of stories. And the second thing is, they all involved situations outside the church. You following me? You with me? People getting saved is going to happen outside the church. Now it's good, yes, it's great when it happens here. But the vast majority of people that we are going to reach, that you and I are going to reach, will happen outside of these walls. Because we are to go. The second instruction He gives us after go is He says baptize. Why is baptism so important? You know, as I, as I read this and as I studied this, I just thought, Lord, why... In your, in your command to the church, why would you tell people to be baptized? Why is that so important? Why does Jesus mention it? And the best I could come up with is, is that if you think about marriage, if you think about marriage, you know, after you say your vows, what do you do? Before the kiss, after the vows, you, you slip a ring on the finger. Now, what, a lot, what happens a lot of times for people that are are you know, not very good spouses, they may, if they go on a business trip or something, they may slip the ring off and put it in their pocket. Or they may be away from their spouse, and so they, they slip that ring off and they put it in their pocket. Why do they do that? They don't want to be identified with their spouse. They don't want people to know that they're married. And, and, and that's similar to what baptism is, because baptism is an identity issue. It's how are we going to identify ourselves. And so when it comes to baptism, baptism is uh, an ordinance of initiation. It's an ordinance where we say, I'm identifying with Christ. It's saying that I, I, I want to publicly say that I follow Jesus. But not just saying I follow Jesus, but it's also a public ordinance where we say, I want to be identified with His people, the church. 
And a lot of times people will say, you know, I, I don't want to be baptized because I don't want to publicly say that I belong to Jesus. And I sure don't want to be known as a person who's identified with the local church. But notice when it comes to making disciples, that's part of it, isn't it? You don't get to just say that I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I don't really I want to follow way back here and I don't want people to really know that I follow him. And so Jesus says, hey, for the people who, who are being discipled, for the people that, that you win to the Lord, for, for my people, I want them to be identified closely with me. I want the world to be able to look at them and know that they are mine. I want the world to be able to look at them and know that, hey, they, are, they belong to my people, the church. It's so important because to fail to do this, for somebody who just makes a decision for Christ and they don't commit to Christ publicly, when they fail to do this, are they really a disciple? Are they really even a disciple? Now we know baptism doesn't save anybody. It's just water. But listen to me. Following through with baptism, obedience to the Lord, and following through with baptism basically says that the decision I made for Christ is real and I'm willing to stick to it. It basically is an outward expression of inwardly what is happening to us. So I'm just going to ask this. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian and this, this probably, statistically, I know this is probably some people here. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you would say, yes, I follow Christ, but you've never followed through with baptism. You've never followed up and said, I want to publicly declare my allegiance to Christ. My question to you this morning is, why, why won't you obey Him and do that? Or maybe for you, it's, you, you may, like, like I did when I was a kid, you were baptized as a kid and you really didn't even know what, who Christ was. You really weren't following Him. And then later in life, you, you said, yes, I, I'm truly following Christ now. And you start to realize that the first time you got baptized, you just got wet. You just got wet. And if that's you, I would urge you and encourage you to follow through and be baptized properly and correctly after you become a Christian. He tells us that we are to baptize people and that is part of making them disciples. Finally here, the, the third um, instruction he gives us is to teach. A crucial part of making disciples, listen to me, is to teach. You are not going to tell somebody how they are to follow Christ unless you teach them. And notice what he says that we are to teach them. He says, teach them to obey. Teach them, in, in his words, to, to observe all that I have commanded. And this, this word for observe means to persist in. In other words, when, when people get saved, that's not the end. And a lot of times we think it is. A lot of times we say, well, the end is, you know, well, they get saved, so they, that's the end. But really, that's the beginning. When people get saved, that is the beginning of their Christian walk. And that is the beginning for us as a church body to go around them and start to teach them. We don't just get saved and that's it, but we get saved and then we start growing. And it is our job as a church to see to it that we do these things. To see to it that we get people plugged in to the church. 
But again, we need to let this passage get into our business. Let this verse get into your business. Are you obeying Christ? Am I obeying Christ? It's really easy for us to say, this is what we need to go and do to other people. But are you and I living lives of obedience to Christ? Or maybe we're just like the people that we're talking about now who we got saved and that was it. That was it. Are you growing with the Lord? Are you growing in holiness? Are you growing in Christ-likeness? Do you know Him more today than you did this time last year? Are you obeying Him? And if you're not obeying Him, and you persist in that, then it's pretty clear from this passage, you're not a disciple. Will we obey? We see the reason for the Great Commission. We see the heart of the Great Commission. We see the instructions, thank goodness, for the Great Commission. The final thing we need to see is the promise. There's a promise with the Great Commission. Look at what it says there in, at the end of verse 20. And behold, he says, I'm with you always. I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promises something far greater than anything we could possibly attain. He promises us his presence. His presence. We don't go out and make disciples for some distant dictator. We go out and we make disciples for our kind, good, loving king who is always with us. And a lot of times when it comes to when it comes to his presence, we say all the time, like, I want to feel his presence. I want to sense his nearness. Now I just want to say, Christ, if we're if we are in Christ, if we are his, his presence is always with us. It doesn't leave. It doesn't just it doesn't go on vacation and it doesn't when we think we're not doing living right and then it just goes away. Like, no, his presence is there. The issue, the question is. Do we feel it? Do we feel it? And I, I can't imagine a Christian who would say, I don't really want to know His presence more. I really don't want to feel His nearness. No. If we're in Christ, we're saying, no, I want, Lord, I want You to be near. Lord, I want You to be near to me. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like He is so distant. You, you may feel dry. You may feel just like a, a parched desert. Like I haven't felt His presence in months. And I just want to point out that He promises us His presence in the context of telling us to go and make disciples. Now I'm not saying that this is, this is you know, the way that it is, but I've just noticed in my short life, that I have felt His presence more when I got out of my comfort zone and ministered to other people and told them about Christ. And, and I just want to encourage you today, maybe if you're, if you're here and you're saying, you know, I really just don't feel His presence. 
Now, there could, there's a lot of things that go into it, but I would say, for one, for starters, are you out reaching others for Him? Pursuing other people? Because the, the, the most alive that I have ever felt as a Christian is when I was outside of my comfort zone, passing out tracts, having gospel conversations with people, talking to people in the workplace, talking to people in the grocery store, when I would, wherever I would go, when I would have conversations about Him, that is when I would truly feel His presence. And church, I would say that if we want to be a church that feels His presence... Now, I'm not saying this is all of what it is, but if we want to be a church that fills His presence, we're going to have to be a church that gets out of these doors, gets out of these walls, and goes where His presence is. Yes, it's everywhere, but we're going to, I think we're going to feel it more as we go and as we live on mission for Him. Yes, He is always with us. But I think sometimes we got to get up and go and get out of our comfort zone and be a true disciple. And then we're going to feel it. Then we're going to know His presence is, is truly near. We should make disciples ultimately because Jesus is worth it. And because He's with us. As we look at the Great Commission, we see the reason for it. Jesus is supreme over all. All authority has been given to Him. We see the heart of the Great Commission to make disciples, not converts. We see the instructions for the Great Commission to go as you're going, to baptize, to teach. And finally, we see the sweet promise of it. He tells us, church, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. To the end of the age, he says. We don't want to be people who just take God's word and, and we hear it and, and read it, but don't do anything with it. We want to be people who respond to it. We want to be people who apply it. Far be it from us to be people who just look at it nonchalantly and go on about our day, but we, we want to be people who are broken over it. And if you're a Christian in this room today, I think one way that we can respond is to be a disciple, not a follower, not a fan. Not just in our comfort. And I think for, for some of us, we, we've got to get real with God and we've got to just come to Him and confess and say, Lord, forgive me for not being a true disciple. Lord, forgive me for just being content with being in my comfort zone all the time. Lord, forgive me for, for, for just clicking the like button and the follow button so I really don't have to do anything. And then after we do that, we need to say, Lord, help me to be a disciple. Lord, I confess to you that I'm not truly like I should be, but Lord, would you help me? And then once we do that, Christian, I think that we need to respond to this by, by going and telling people. By getting out of our comfort zone. By getting out of, of our church. By getting out of these walls. And as we go about our daily, ordinary lives, telling people about the extraordinary Gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Or you're struggling with if you are or not. And this, may, this passage and this sermon may be a little strange to you. 
But I want you to realize through this, I want you to, if you're in, in this room and you're not a Christian, I want you to realize how much God loves and is pursuing you. The last words that Jesus tells to His church is to go and make disciples. The last words before He ascends in Acts 1.8 says, you're going to be my witnesses. If you're not a Christian, I want you to see that Christ is not content just to have His church, His followers to themselves, but He wants to win you. Christ will have you if you will come to Him. You're not too far gone for grace. You're not so far gone that, that He can't reach you. And when, when you hear us talk about how we want to go and tell other people and how we want to meet people where they are, it's because we realize that, that God has met us where we are. And I'm here to tell you today that He will meet you right where you are. You don't have to clean up for Him. He will have you. And in just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation, a song of response. And as we do that, this is a time for you. Maybe if you're one of the ones earlier and you say, you know, I, I need to be baptized. That's a time for you to, to do that. To come forward publicly and say, yes, I want to be identified with His people. So it may be a time for you if you are not a Christian and you want to say, yes, I want to publicly go and follow Christ. But maybe if you're in here and you would say, I don't want to walk in front of all those people. I'm not a Christian, but I don't want to walk in front of all those people to, to do that. I would encourage you to come find me or come find somebody who's a member of this church and ask questions. Do it in private. That's okay. But press in. Press in. Ask questions. And we'd love to talk to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you We thank You, Lord, that You are supreme. Lord, that we don't have to worry about whether or not You rule over everything, but Lord, you, we, we know, we take You at Your Word that You reign over all the earth. That You're not just the God of Christians, but You're the God of the world. That You don't just desire to see a group of people pulled out of the world and saved, but Lord, you want to see the world turned upside down with the gospel. And Lord, we confess as a church, as a church family, as a church body, that we could do more. That we could follow you better that we could make disciples better. Lord, we are so weak and frail and we mess up so much. Lord, we surrender to You as imperfect as we are, as, as much as we fail You. We surrender to You, Lord, and want to be used by You. In Jesus' name.